Welcome to Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, Hello. this is the Conesy with the most, and we are joined with the. Who is that person that's I think, across uh, from me? My name is Paul, otherwise known as PJ Shard. Oh, it's my usual co-host. Okay, excellent. Exactly. All right, where are we today, Paul? I think we're at Misty Mountain Games. Yeah, we are. Located which is on Cottage Grove Road. Which is conveniently part of what we're doing today. We're at the Merry Mayhem, Warhammer, Fantasy, and, and there's a Privateer Press, uh, Who's the Boss event, all sorts of craziness going on Correct. here. I'm going to go ahead just quick and give a quick shout out and thanks to all of our sponsors, starting with Misty Mountain Games and Diversions here on Cottage Grove Road. Absolutely. Uh, obviously host of the 2012 Merry Mayhem, mm-hmm. Last Large. Mayhem Before the End of the World. The largest gaming space in Madison. Then we have, of course, Last Square, then all the good stuff they do. Make sure you check them out at lastsquare.com. You get all the stuff, including a 20% discount on stuff you order online. Correct. On top of that, we have Prism Gaming. They are awesome. They got some stuff where you've been giving away for all the micro prizes, mm-hmm. and we'll be giving away some more other stuff for some of the 40K stuff tomorrow. Absolutely. No question. And then we've finally got the WWHFB, the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League, which without them, we'd never have pulled off a of Merry Mayhem back in, back in the day. So it's exactly. great to be affiliated with them as well. Mm-hmm. So we're this is we're kind of in the middle and wrapping up. We're actually about in the middle of round two, as far as the clock says. Correct. Uh, so, Paul, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to tell us kind of just a brief overview on how, how your games went for the first couple of games today? And mm-hmm. well, I guess we should before we go ahead and go into game recap. Let's go ahead and let the folks know we're obviously we're at Mary Mayhem. This is going to be another one of those quasi live shows. Yes, we'll try to grab some people from the event throughout the day mm-hmm. to talk about their games or talk about their experience at Mary Mayhem. And what's all's going on? So we'll get hopefully grab there'll be some obviously some Warhammer people. We might grab some private press people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll grab some people from the store. It's gonna be a bunch of people. Correct. So that, and that's the big thing. Mary Ham is always about the drive for toys for tots. Correct. And we are right now just over thirteen hundred dollars for cash and toys for toys for tots. It's and been that's amazing. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Paul, why don't we go ahead while we got you? Let's go ahead and just talk a little bit about your about your game one and a quick recap on your game two. All right. Well, uh, game one, I played against Mike Ballard. He's playing Demons. I'm playing my Ogres again. And basically, it just came down to could I kill the Bloodthirster or not? And it ended up I could not kill the Bloodthirster. Shot four, uh, shot seven cannons at him. He got hit with four of them. Ward saved two of them. And he only took two wounds on two other ones. So the Bloodthirster was alive at the end of the game with one wound left. It just, yeah, if I would have killed him... I would have won the game easily and potentially also gotten the major and minor objective, but I couldn't get that last wound off of him. So Story of your life. Exactly. But, I mean, to my defense, the Bloodthirster did only end up killing two single saber tusks the entire game, so I did have a small victory there for that. All right. And so then we go ahead... Round one, you've lost. You didn't pick up any of the objective points. It's just a no. Nope. Uh, we're using a win-loss draw system at Merry Mayhem, so it's uh, with standard victory conditions. But round one is let's, we talk a little bit about the scenario too. Round mm-hmm. one was the perfect tree, correct? Which is basically there's a tree in the center of the board, and the deployment is the meeting engagement deployment, correct? So you're at the angle deployment, and you um, roll to see whether or not the unit starts on the board or not. Yep, and then you. At the uh, the it's still a win loss draw condition standard victory points for the mm-hmm. for that but the major but objective the, yep, major objective is to have the most fortitude points within twelve inches of the tree Correct. The perfect tree in the center of the board and the minor objective is to kill two or more of your opponent's fortitude points so a lot of 
a lot of like you don't have to be completely gimped if you don't have fortitude in your army at, at that for this scenario. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. I mean, you did get the you get the loss for the round one. You're at five points going into round two. Correct. So then, who? What? 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 How did round two go? And what? What was the scenario like? Scenario for round two was the Island of Misfit Toys, I believe. Yep. And basically, you roll a dice, see how many presents you roll, and then you must put them on your opponent's side of the board and one in each table quarter. So I rolled three, and my opponent rolled one. So we had six presents total on the board. But basically, it just came down to I was able to get across the board so fast that he couldn't do enough damage to me. A unit of Mornfang took out his level four, level two, and his unit of 20 archers. So that was his general. And then he charged with his Phoenix Guard, which was his BSB, into my second unit of Mornfang. He rolled so poorly, he couldn't even kill two wounds. (laughs) So that was basically game over, turn three. So I got full victory points for that one and major and minor. Yep, you were you were done. The first game done, round two. <laughs> yeah, so. I think it was about half hour, forty five minutes. It was an hour and five minutes is okay. what you guys clocked it in by the time you're done deploying and stuff. Oh, all right so, then. That was great. Um, let's go ahead and we'll catch some more folks in a little bit. But we wanted to go ahead and give an intro to the show and let people know what we're doing, correct, and what's going on here. So, thanks a lot. Keep on listening. Take a break. My precious. My precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. Yu-Gi-Oh, Warhammer, 40K, War Machine Hordes, everything. Everything? Yeah, it's all at Misty Mountain Games. Really? Correct. Located on Cottage Grove Road. And you know what? I hear they also have the largest gaming space in all of Madison. Don't just hear it. I know they do. All right. And also, you can check them out for board games as well, I hear. Yep, board games. They got pretty much everything. The management and the staff down there are awesome. They can hook you up with whatever you need. If it's not on the shelves, they'll make sure they get it in for you promptly and quickly. All right, well, check them out. Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. And, of course, hit their website at mistymountaingames.com. Okay, we is back. I am joined now by the also famous Mr. Ryan Nickel. Woo! What, what? And also Robert Elmers. I've been on the cast before. Uh, let's go ahead and I, we're at obviously Merry Mayhem. What do you guys think so far? What have you been having a good time? Merry Christmas, I've been everybody. Having a good time. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of festivity going on. And no snowstorm to mess everything up this year. Yeah, we definitely got away <laughs> with. This is two years in a row. Merry Mayhem has went without a massive, drastic snowstorm. So that is big. So. It is raining right now, though. All right, Mr. Nickel, how how is your round one and two? I mean, how how are you doing so far? How do you feel like you're sitting? I'm one and one, but my first game when I took the loss, I got the major objective, so probably sitting a little bit higher than the middle of the pack. Uh, I got all max points in round two, so doing pretty good. See, maybe still have a shot at that Forces of Destruction grand prize. Probably not. Gerald's got two wins, max points, so he might be shooting for overall. Therefore, yeah. you can sneak in oh, the uh, slippery so back both. door. Nope, no bet, no double prizes for anybody. All right, yeah, I'll, we share the love. Pedal to the metal in game three. Hey, Mr. Elmer, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. First game, I fought against uh, Kevin Bruins, and I was winning it until one or two bad rounds of combat. Even though he thought I had him on the ropes, and he ended up winning. Game two, I fought vampires. And what won it was there's an 84 model count of skeletons plus a necromancer. I cast Curse of the Leper. He let it go. He let it go. Last time he had to stop it. Cast a spell. Irresistible force. 
loses all his power dice. <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsie. Yeah, it's, I think that is the biggest unit, though, that's here at Mayhem this year, is that there are 84 skeletons in one unit. Skeleton Spearman, that's well, that was just crazy. Start. He started with 84. He didn't mm-hmm. raise them to No, 84. that's the unit start, 84 <laughs> yeah. models. That's crazy. But that's why it's very Mayhem, because people do some crazy stuff. So, so eight, first game I saw that combat, it was his horde of gores versus your horde of Nurgle warriors. Is that what combat you're talking about in that first game that went yeah, south? That- yeah, that was the combat that went south for me. Yeah. He just got too many wounds through because my arm was just like, nope. <laughs> and, oh, I'm going to hit, I'm going to roll lots of ones and twos. Oh. That's, you know, it happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess uh, what else is going on? I mean, we, we've gotten kind of the demon mini review from Ryan before, uh, and we've talked, we talked a little bit. Uh, about your Nurgle Warriors on Wisco Dice before. Mm-hmm. Both of those armies are, uh, they do look amazing. They're really cool looking armies. They're awesome appearance. I wish I had an army that looked that good so far. Yeah, um, I just put an army that looked pretty good. Orcs and Goblins. <laughs> orange hey, that is the best army here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, the army we're talking about is uh, Mr. Joe Rogers has borrowed the Conzies, Orcs and Goblins. Which is kind of an unfair advantage for Mr. Ryan Nichols since he's already played against Conzie's Orcs and Goblins once and already knows all their ins and outs. Yep. And I got I got the win again against that. <laughs> so uh, I got a question for you guys. What's the army that kind of caught your eye that at this event that you haven't seen in another event before? Um, right away, I, I, there's one, the Demon Army, that uh, apparently won Best Painter last year. Never met the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's playing. It looks like it's very Zinch mm-hmm. style. Uh, looks like he does have some Demonettes and some other things in there, but... Uh, a lot of conversions. I think his fiend was a white lion that had a bunch of growths and stuff on it. Uh, looked like he had like a maybe a keeper of secrets or a lord of change or something that was part uh, part uh, carnifex or something from the tyranids and uh, really nice looking army. The display board really sets it off as well. It's got a bunch of flying rocks. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, Dustin. He was helping us with our chaos tour for you just a couple episodes back. So. Yeah, and he won the best appearance last year yep. with that same army. So exactly. So. He was really hoping he was going to have his, I think his uh, cast dwarfs here for this, but then a, a level of motivation and or having to paint 2,000 points of army in a couple months, I think, beat it out of him. Yeah. So now, there are, The other army I, I think uh, I think is really coming along pretty well is I really like what um, Gerald's done with his Warriors of Chaos, you know, mm-hmm. coming with that, I don't know if it's like a Norse or what, the wolf theme, he's got... Chariots riding the wolves, the um, 40K Space Wolves guys. Yeah, the Fenrisian Wolves. He put some Skull Crushers together. Nope. Must have done yeah. it pretty quick, but he's mm-hmm. got them like half the Fenrisian, Fenrisian Wolves um, from the uh, the Thunderwolf Cavalry yep. and yep. half Juggernaut. So the, the, he kind of replaced the uh, shoulders and hindquarters with the uh, Juggernauts, and, and they look really nice. So. Yeah, a decent yeah, amount of conversion really, on that. Cause I played against that army at Blood in the Sun, and I was noting, I'm like, that army pops on the table like six times better than what he needed yeah, and for a warriors of chaos army it's just really it's really bright um you know even his like muted tones for his armor he makes up for it in the brightness of the wolves the brightness of the basing mm-hmm. um and his display board really draws your eyes in as well so i mean I, he's done a really good job picking up his paint scores from the last from his like bretonian army so yeah it looks really great i know when he was talking about painting a new army he was talking about his bretonian army and he was like well i I like it and it's fun to play but i I don't want to rush this one i want to kind of take a little bit slow and really make it to stick out on the table a little bit more and i think he's definitely achieved that so uh robert was there an army that you saw at this event that you haven't seen before that you thought was really sticking out i might be a little biased because i used to play chaos stores for years 
Mm-hmm. But the, there's what Chaos Dwarf Army over there that really caught my eye that had the Kadai Fireborn, the mo- not, not the ca- big, j- not big the Kadai, not the Kadai Destroyer, the, but yeah. like the monstrous infantry one. Mm-hmm. And that's the one with all Forge World models, right? Yeah. They yeah, that's nice. Matt Herbold has the all Forge World um, Chaos Dwarf Army, and he's got a lot of paint on it already. He didn't get everything finished, but I have to say, um, when the Kadai Fireborn came out, when I saw those models, I said, you know, I'm really not sold on those. I'm going to have to see a really, really nice paint job on those before I look yeah. at them and say, okay, those look like nice models. And and seeing Matt Herbold's today, I was like, okay, that sells those look great. Yeah, uh, yeah that would look amazing. I think with amazing. those models, it's extremely important to get the flame right. If you can make the flame look good, mm-hmm. those models really look sweet. You know, exactly. If you can't make the flame look right, I think they're going to look pretty pretty rough. Which you know, is so. why I'm hesitant for my Kadai or Kadai Fireborn when, on my Chaos Force when I repaint them. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that actually a, a lot of his theme is already showing through, even though he doesn't have the paint on. But he's he's got some of that flame effect on the regular Chaos Dwarf Warriors as well. Uh, he's got, I think, a Magma Cannon and an Iron Demon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and those were painted up pretty nice as well. So Matt's always done a really nice job on his paint, and it's nice to see a Forge World army painted to that level. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's nice. And, it's, and we've, it's kind of been talked about in a few casts, but, yeah, it's nice to see the Forge World army. I don't mind seeing conversions and stuff because it's pretty expensive and they're a cool army, but... It is nice to see like the actual models sometimes too. So exactly, oh, yeah. yeah. I know. I, I think Chuck actually from the Wacast is here, and he's playing with his Forge World Chaos Dwarves. But I think I saw on Twitter yesterday that he had his Forge World Chaos Dwarves just delivered recently as well. So I'll be interested to see those on the table too. It, it, it's just nice to actually see the models themselves painted up to a really high standard, and Chuck obviously can do that as well. And so. the, the main reason why I haven't bought all the infantry, aside from in my budget <laughs> is also having converted so many of them, even mm-hmm. if they're nowhere near the quality of you know sculpts. Yeah, as those, it it, it you, you kind of have that attachment to yeah. what you already made. Right. Yeah, definitely. When you put that much effort into a model, it's really hard to say I'm gonna just gonna put this in the corner and start on something else. But yeah, yeah. I hear um, that. <laughs> well, Cone. Put these uh, Conzi put these Tomb Kings in front of us. Yes, he's got some Tomb King chariots painted up here. He's working on the Tomb King's army slowly but surely. He's got a kind of nice color scheme going on. He's almost yeah, got a say. robin's egg blue slash sky blue color, and then he's got a red. It's not really a wine red or a crimson red. It's kind of a little bit in between. Yeah, it's kind of more like a pastel red. Mm-hmm. Like a, yeah, a little more pinkish red. Yeah, magenta-ish. Yeah. It, while the colors are a bit subdued, they're not that annoying dark drab you get with some armies that I used to have the problem with a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. It's still bright enough to catch the eye well, without being obnoxious and seem fit. It, it seems right for Undead. Yeah, I, I think he when he first put those colors on, I saw it, and, and they looked very much different. Uh, they, they didn't seem to mesh whatsoever, but he's put enough highlighting into them that they really seem to tie together now. Uh, and the models as a whole look really, really nice. I yeah. yeah, and I think, the, I think he did, does a really good job with the bone there, too. So over the overall color scheme is one that I've, I've never seen for Tomb Kings before, and it's one that's going to catch some of people's eye because a lot of Tomb King players go with that traditional, like, a lot of a ton of bronze. And, it, and you know, when you're looking at his models, he does have a little bronze in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the stuff there is the red. It, a lot of his metal is the red. Um, so there's a lot more color, I think, to this Tomb King's army as opposed to some. And then I think the basing is a great choice as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so many Tomb King's armies, you know, the fluff is they're in desert, you know, land. And so I think he's got a pretty good-looking type desert um ish 
basing, but it's not just brown, right? It's yeah. just not just like the orangish desert color. Yeah, so. it's not just like it's not just oh, there's a bunch of sand. It's what a lot of deserts actually look like, which is some bare rock and some sand and yep. you know a little bit of green maybe even too. So yeah, do you know? I know Benarik did this, and I'm doing this with my tombkins as well. Is he going with the bows and taking like sewing string? And then making it look like they have bow strings. I can't actually remember whether or not he's done that or not. He only has about six of those archers done, so you'd have to ask them, him himself. So, and because if, if you can do that, it, it makes mm-hmm. them look a lot yeah. nicer. I'm gonna go see if I can retrieve him quickly. Yeah, if I'll it's be- done well, I think I think I've seen uh, who is it? Uh, he's from Milwaukee. He plays Dave Benarik. What? Ben- Dave Benarik. Benarik. Yeah, he's uh, he did his with his wood elves, and it looks really nice. But I have seen some armies that have done it before. And it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look like true bowstring, or it just kind of looks like, you know, literally like craft string tied around. It's not like threaded, you know, like through the bow. So it just kind of looks, for me, if it's done well, it looks really great. If it's not, then I think mm. it kind of detracts a little bit, actually. So what are we talking about? We're talking about your Tomb Kings right now. Oh, we're talking about bowstrings. Talking a bunch of trash, huh? We're talking about how terrible they are. We should, we should just scrap it. No, no, we think they look really good, and we were just talking about how the uniqueness of the uh, paint scheme and the basing uh, really set them apart from what we've seen before. Oh, and there it is. He is doing the bowstrings. Good. The bowstrings are there. Which, actually, this has evolved. These are the first ones I did, the first ones we're looking at, and I just glued the bowstring right on after painting it. And this is, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. So, like, this is what I would like to see when somebody does a bowstring where you, it looks like it's notched. The ones that I've seen that I don't like are where it's like they literally just tie a knot around the top and then they string it down. That one doesn't it just doesn't look right to me. It's so easy to do. The key is you just dab it on with a touch of super glue and you I'm using just normal what you'd use to like stitch together, you know, regular thread. And on the first ones I just kind of glued it with a spot of glue on the top and bottom. On the second batch that I was experimenting with, it's just a, I glued it on prior to priming. And then it's a spot of liquid green stuff over the top of the bottom, uh, the top and the bottom. And the big difference is then you don't have that little bit of overlap of string that doesn't quite make sense. Oh, yeah. And on the latest ones, I'm priming them first and then putting the string on because it got a little fuzzy on the string with the primer. I was just going to say, it looks like the string is starting to fray a little bit on the ones you prime. I think, it, I think it'll look okay when it's painted. Plus, if it, it's old, rotted string, it looks true, okay true. anyways. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, the paint might kind of bring those thread back that that thread back together again. A little bit. That's kind of the hope. But it doesn't. It doesn't bother me if it's a little bit too much. Plus, I have about eight thousand skeletons, so I, I got a few of them I can experiment with. You were going to ask something earlier, Ed. You were going to ask something earlier. I don't know if I was going to ask anything. I'm all confused now. Way to go! I'm confused. <laughs> no, I was. I was just saying like. You know, the basing, I think, is really going to set your army apart, especially with the, that paint scheme, because, you know, I was saying, you know, you really have a different scheme than a lot of Tomb King players use, and it still kind of looks like you're in the desert. There's not enough, you know, it's barren still, but it's got a little more color. This is actually taken from the the core concept is taken from the Flames of War website, and literally they have a great article on desert basing and different places during World War II that, and different, where they where there was desert fighting. And how to get that accomplished so that it looks right on your basing for your Flames of War units if you're doing, like, Desert War, which is where this is really originated from. And it, it really, it's so easy to do with so little cost. Uh, just a big tub of uh, wall plaster 
which builds the the basis. And I I do sculpt in some cracks and crevices in it, some real fine sand um, in spots, and just some tufts of the uh, of like a old weathered kind of static grass. That's all it is. On uh, some of the other on some of the later bases, we'll get a few more bits and pieces on for rot, for uh, skulls and some scorpion bits and whatever to kind of evil it up and stuff but yeah i i like that i like that it's kind of a dark neutral kind of base which i lets the the bright colors i'm using just kind of pop a little more off the entire basing so all that uh texture on the base that i'm looking at i'm sorry for the viewers or the listeners that can't see it right now but maybe Conzi will put up some pictures there there have been pictures up on the wisco yeah, so, dice page as so i as i finish use- stuff you use wall plaster. You kind of mix it up and just kind of dobbed it on in places and kind of built it up that way. Is that kind of how you? I just spread it on with a putty knife and then took a sculpting, a normal sculpting tool, and pushed it around a little bit to, a little, to make the crevices. It looks really good. It's, the it's the key, cool. I think, is I do layer a, a layer of uh, PVA or Elmer's glue down first and then put that on. I think that's going to give it better long-term uh, hold, so that it I've, that is because it is a touch fragile the material, so. All right, I've got to kind of run away. I think we'll go ahead at this point and take a break. Yeah, thanks, I hope thanks you, for having me on, Conzie. I, I love having you guys on, and uh, we'll go ahead and look forward to Game the- 3. Here we go. Yes, good luck, guys. Do you want to speed up your games with super accurate measuring and control your dice from flying everywhere? Then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. Do you love beautiful, bold colors and amazing washes? With a huge selection of colors, then Prism Gaming is your place to shop. If you love to game, then you love Prism Gaming. For all of their products and materials, shop www.prismgamer.com. Okay, we are back. We's back. Okay, obviously you can tell there's not a lot of bunch of background audio like there was earlier in the show, and that's because we are recording this after The Great Merry Mayhem 2012. Mm -hmm. This is going to be kind of our recap of the event now, and we'll go ahead and I think uh, we start off uh, where we left off was round three. We hadn't heard about how your game went or the scenario or anything, Paul. So how did your round three game go? Well, I was immediately disappointed even before I made it to the table because I was playing Meal. This was probably one of my highlights of the event. And Meal was also disappointed. I mean, Meal and I like each other, but we both enjoy playing each other. But we're just like, ah, I got to play Meal. And Meal's like, ah, I got to play Paul. It was was the loudest complaining of the round three pairings. As it should have been. I was like, come on, don't play somebody else. (laughs) So Paul got lined up against the dreaded meal. It was great. Correct. I kind of giggled to myself when when the matchup. And it it ended up, you guys were just... You guys were just right there with points. It wasn't like I manipulated the pairings or anything. It Mm -hmm. was you guys were just there. You happened to fall points on points. That was where it was. I know. I I yelled at Meal for losing. I said, how dare you lose and make me play you. (laughs) Uh, So we had the random deployment again. uh, I think it's the The Dawn Attack attack deployment. deployment. The scenario was, we wish you a merry walkmas. 
I don't even remember what the scenario was because my deployment all ended up on the left flank and meals all ended up on his right flank. So we were right across the table from each other. This was the scenario but, where you could call Wog. Oh, that's right. And basically when you called Wog and you had to yell, Wog! Much louder than that. Much louder than that. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you yelled Wog, every, and you did this at the start of your turn, every uh-huh. unit of five or more models in your army, uh huh. Would get to move a D6 inches forward directly towards the nearest enemy unit they could see. Yep. Since you were playing ogres. Correct. I know some of the ogre guys were like, really? You can't reduce this to three or more? No, you need, there just needs to be enough dudes. Yeah. Enough willpower to do it. And just be, three dudes is just isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that, that kind of sucks for you guys, but. Uh, you know, nobody else at the event was really complaining that the ogres needed to have five or more miles. Yeah, and Ben doesn't like ogres, so he's like, oh, that's fine. It had fine. nothing to do with that. I mean, it <laughs> just teasing. it just makes sense. I mean, if there was, a, I thought it, it did help balance a little bit with maybe some of the ogre power level, too. I wasn't trying to do that. That wasn't the intent. Mm-hmm. But it definitely kind of, uh, I had to rule one way or the other, yeah. and I felt it worked better this way than trying to give a bunch of monsters all of a sudden because if you rule it that way for ogres all yep. of a sudden you open the door for model three-man units of monsters cav and other armies yep and that definitely takes those some of those especially over the top like the skull crushers were which were i think some some of the some of the popular opinion now is that they're probably the best monsters cavalry infantry in the game oh i could easily um, see that i mean one-up armor save <laughs> one-up armor save it's Depending Toughness on how you five. rule the frenzy thing for the mounts, it's yeah. either five or six attacks total per model. Yep, you know those are tough models. So, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and that was one. Of, I mean, that was that was part of the consideration there. It wasn't just how does this impact ogres. If I make this ruling, mm-hmm. how does it impact potentially other armies? Yeah. So, they but anyway, that way. back onto my game. Um, at least you, there's some some idea of the thought process <laughs> that goes behind some of this stuff. But no yeah, worries. onto your game. How did it go? I mean, uh, uh, what was the table like that you were playing on? I think you were on. I think this was the, the one Elvish of the Ruins were, table. Yeah, there was like these aqueducts mm-hmm. and a couple of towers and stuff like that. Yeah, it looked really cool, uh, but the bridge got in my way, and I probably wasn't playing the best either. So. I think I, the, the meal factor, the dreaded uh, meal factor, got into Paul's mental state of touch. Well, uh, yeah, was, on top of the Dawn Attack deployment. Uh, yeah, on top of the Dawn Attack deployment, it was basically just I literally didn't make it across the board with anything. He just kept shooting everything, and everything ran away because I couldn't keep my character base in the center. And I couldn't actually come into contact with his big units because they were behind this big aqueduct thing. So... Eh. I tried. <laughs> it didn't work very well. And yeah, I, the, I lost. There was one of there were two tables that we brought. They were completely brand new tables this year that I had made by uh, Trainaholics, mm-hmm. and I love them to death. I love mm-hmm. both the tables to death. And one was the dwarf, dwarf underground. Hall. The, mm-hmm. I called it the Dugan's Delve table. It was basically underground dwarven halls that looked very much like the Mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. The other table was this Elven table, and then part of the problem was there was just too much. And I kind of had my gut feeling that it was this way, but I I wanted to pl- put all the terrain that I had available from from them on the table for both tables because mm-hmm. it did look really cool. Yeah, and I should have, but there ended up being there was just too much impassable on both tables. Yeah, and for 2013 now, I definitely learned my lesson, and that'll get minimized a little bit. Certainly, mm-hmm. I have the capability to do 
to do more if I wanted to do maybe it's like a like a big theme mega battle or something like that mm-hmm. or like for the for the dwarf stuff I'm going to play me and Brian have already been talking about uh, disturb uh, the Stark raving mad guy that's been on the show before have been talking about doing a Lord of the Rings Moria game with it. Yeah, it would look really cool. I, I would. It's perfect. It's spot on mm-hmm. perfect. It's really cool for that. But uh it was a little bit too much for for uh, I think a fantasy for a game for a, yeah for a normal game and yeah. so come come twenty thirteen it mm-hmm. was of the two ta- of the two tables we asked in the survey about terrain there was those were the two that were mm-hmm. probably the most uh, kind of viciously kind of grumbled about so we're. And nobody really was like, oh, my God, this was just horrible. But I did ask the question, you know, if there was a table that you played on during the event that impacted your game, and it seemed like a lot of people must have cycled through and played on those. So I did yeah. the rotation. Nobody got stuck playing on that same table twice. Mm-hmm. But there was, And the rotation through those tables must have been pretty good, even though I wasn't really trying that very hard. Yeah. So I, I was really happy with that. Mm-hmm. But I definitely learned, or I learned from the event that we need to change those just a touch. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, when you kind of think about the... the it's it. It was a Wapaka primer, yeah. and you got to deal with tons of rivers that muck with your movement pretty bad at Wapaka. Mm-hmm. Having tables that really mucked with your movement at Mayhem, mm-hmm. you know that wasn't that's that I'm priming you up for what you're going to get. <laughs> but I did I did get that out of that, mm-hmm. and I and I I do apologize to those that really had their games drastically impacted by those mm-hmm. tables. But I hope the uh, the. They were they look cool mm-hmm. and they they I hope that kind of helped add to your games yeah, as well. Definitely, the really kind of interesting thing about my third game actually though was Mil was actually there the next day as well, and so we got to play a rubber match, switching armies. That was cool. Yeah, we, we so we were doing the Merry Mayhem mm-hmm. was both days, Saturday and Sunday, and so Sunday we had a bunch of mini Warhammer events. But as it come to find out, it really was. I think there was. Four of us that ended up turning out, and mm-hmm. right away it was just the three of us. It was me, you, yep. and Meal. Correct. And so I'm just kind of like, well, I can take some time to to set up and, or to tear down and clean up and stuff. Why don't you guys just play a game? Mm-hmm. And first it was kind of like, oh man, I just played them yesterday and it wasn't good. Blah blah uh-huh. blah. And then you came up with, well, let's just, let's just trade armies. We'll mm-hmm. play each other. Yeah, and that that was actually a very illuminating experience for me. I- it's one of those things that you never get to do. You don't get to play the same army, switch tables. And uh, Mil and I, like I said, we're very good friends, and we've played enough that we trust each other. So we were just like, yeah, sure, let's just switch armies. And so it, really what it allowed me to do is to see what, like, Mil just doesn't play games the way most other people play, which makes him a better player <laughs> in general. And it was just a really nice experience to be able to watch the strategy that he used and how it basically changed the game drastically now i will go out and say that my dice rolls were definitely poorer poorer than his and that definitely impacted both of our games both times but really it came down to the fact that when i was playing the ogres i had a hard time getting across the board because everything panicked and he just i failed I think seven leadership eight tests in a row. That's pretty I rough. Mean, and literally four of my six units ran off the board, never made it into combat. So it's hard to recover from something like that. That That is hard. And that is one of those ones where you can mm-hmm. go like, you know, on top of not being able to easily get to his units, mm-hmm. having the, the panics and the fails, but leader eight mm-hmm. isn't, 
solidly reliable. Yeah. It's 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 a little bit above average reliable, mm-hmm. I guess, but it's it's not something you can count on. I certainly mm-hmm. like from playing the Dark Elves for the last year. Yeah, you know that's a pretty much a leader eight with some leader nine sparsed mm-hmm. out. Actually, my Dark Elf army is closer to Leader 9. I've come to find that, you know, Leader 9 isn't necessarily the most reliable thing either. And when people force me to take a significant number of checks, Mm -hmm. uh, I tend to fail one or two critical ones somewhere Mm -hmm. in the game. And and that usually caught, that that has come to cost me games Mm -hmm. before. So I I definitely, I know where you're coming from there. Yeah. Well, and it it was interesting to watch Meal play the same army because obviously with an Ogre army, you've got to get across the table to be able to get to your opponent to be able to take those points away and so i knew i was going to be taking some leadership tests so my point was to get into contact with the enemy as soon as possible to limit the number of leadership tests that i could take it's a pretty standard strategy i think for most warhammer armies is you know operation grill you just run up kill stuff and if you do well you win if you don't you don't uh but watching meal play the list Obviously, for both of the games, when I was playing the Ogres and when he was playing the Ogres, his Hellblaster is a big deal because it can do so many wounds, and it's strength. It's only strength four, but when you do so many wounds, you have to do a lot of rolls, and the more rolling you do in general in a Warhammer game, the more likely you are to fail more rolls, and the more likely you are to lose. So, Meal also was working on Operation Grill, but the first thing he decided to do was to make sure everything was outside of the range of the Hellblaster, and mitigate the number of leadership tests that he would take. So I got first turn, so he put everything outside of Hellblaster range so I couldn't shoot anything, and then moved his Iron Blasters up when I failed to wound either of them with my cannon, two cannons, and then shot the Iron Blaster. And once he shot the Iron Blaster, then he was like, all right, then I'm willing to move up. So he sacrificed a turn of him being on the other side of the board to be able to mitigate the one thing that he saw as the main target. Well, and, and to be honest, I saw that as the main target too, but I just I didn't have any luck killing it, and I didn't actually try shooting it until the second turn. So, really, what it boiled down to me was that Meal looked at my army on both in both occasions. He looked at my army, saw what part of his army could do the most damage, and maximize that in in my game. And then when I was playing the Empire, he mitigated that simply by knowing that making more leadership tests is going to hurt him the most. Sure. I think that's something that's important to, to take as a lesson here. Mm-hmm. Um, you were kind of terrain effed in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the game, uh, in the game at mayhem. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think if you, you know, if you, in hindsight, you look at that and you look at how meal approached your game. And that was on a, on a table that was much more open. You were mm-hmm. playing on basically the Lustria theme table. Well, but, but I can't even use that as an excuse because yes, my two units of ogres on the left-hand side were behind the bridge, but I had three units of Mornfang on the right-hand side. And those three units of Mornfang were what I needed to get in to be able to really get operation grill working. And they kept getting hit by the Hellblaster. So obviously, if I would have done what Meal did and taken out the Hellblaster with everything first, then I probably wouldn't have had as much of an issue getting into the flank and really started to tear up some of his units. Exactly, that was where I was going. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, you know, and that's you got. I mean, that's something that I'm not an ogre player, so I'm not uh-huh. an expert in any means there, but. I do know ogres got ogres have really two really really mm-hmm. good strengths. Yes, speed. Yes, the army is amazingly fast, mm-hmm. 
when everything's basically move six or better, mm-hmm. you get across the board in a hurry. So you can, you because of that, you can afford to stall. Mm-hmm. So like in your first game against a Matt Mayhem, I, you know, in hindsight, yeah, mm-hmm. if you didn't stall, if you could have stalled maybe a turn or two mm-hmm. and... You probably could have even afforded until you, unless you lost your iron blasters. Yeah, you could afford to play the artillery shelling blast shelling game. Plus, uh, mm-hmm. an iron blaster is what five wounds. Yes, so statistically, it shouldn't die as quickly as his. So if, even in a cannon off, it shouldn't go away. Yeah, it, but it, his it, cannon should statistically. Yeah, because you fifty uh, over two thirds of the time you're gonna every time you hit a cannon you're gonna take it off the board. Mm-hmm. And or a hell blaster, and it's only a third of the time when he hits your iron blaster, it's mm-hmm. going to come off the board. So he he's effectively, if he gets first turn, mm-hmm. he had two cannons or one cannon, he one, had cannon one cannon plus the steam, steam tank, tank cannon. So yeah, so he had two cannons effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to probably almost assuredly have to drop if he gets first turn, drop both of those into an iron blaster. Mm-hmm. At which point you still have an iron blaster left. You can target evaluate. And go, okay, what's the one that's probably going to cause me the most problem? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's going to be the Hellblaster because that does the most most potential damage. Mm-hmm. I drop that. I try to get that off the board. If I succeed, mm-hmm. unless I whiff the dice roll on that on turn one, yeah. he's still got turn two. Uh, even turn one, I could keep everything outside of 24, get rid of the cannon. Mm-hmm. I can't get rid of the steam tank, but I could get rid of the cannon potentially. Yeah. Keep everything out of 24 so he can't get the Hellblaster on his turn two. He's only got a single cannon. With the, that's only able to take your Iron Blaster off the board a third of the time, mm-hmm. you blow away his Hell Blaster on turn two, mm-hmm. and then you can play kind of a dancing game to try to maybe get the Steam Tank mm-hmm. or pick off some other points and just never engage. It's not necessarily a fun way to play, mm-hmm. but I think that's good to good as a lesson to not only for, for you, because I know you learned it already, mm-hmm. but to take that lesson and teach our, teach our fans that so that the, you know when you're in a tournament game, you can play like the all. Oh, let's do the Operation Grill. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm gonna lose this game or whatever. And I just mm-hmm. want to have fun. That's that's cool. Tournament games, especially like mm-hmm. a tournament like Mayhem, where it was win, loss, draw. Uh-huh. You can play a denial type strategy mm-hmm. very successfully with an army like an Ogres, even against uh, mm-hmm. a shooty army like Empire, and have a, a really good chance for success. But I, I guess my point more was that what Meal did was minimize the role. So. That's really kind of the point of how he ran the army. He knew that the army was low leadership, and so he did everything he could, and this is what Meal always does, to minimize the number of rolls that he will make that he potentially could lose something for. Yeah, and and that's what I think I just explained. uh, I think what it really is is that uh, you were talking actually on Tuesday about you're like, you know, when you play good players like Johnny, like the Raj, like Meal, you never hear, oh, I had bad rolls when they lose their games. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do simply with the fact that they make sure that they minimize the number of rolls that they make. And that sounds like a really simple thing, but I, I've had a really hard time doing that. And I know a lot of players have a really hard time just getting it through their heads that even if there potentially is some amazing stuff that's going to be happening, or even if you do have an army that should be able to survive, like Ogres, should be able to survive. You shouldn't be able to do as much damage to me that you can make me take panic tests. But at the end of the day, if you can make sure that those panic tests don't happen, that's always going to be a better game for you than if you have to take them at all. And so waiting or planning around the army, making sure that you can mitigate those circumstances from a list-building perspective or from a gameplay perspective really is going to make you a better player 
not because you're necessarily playing better, but because you're minimizing the number of rolls. And so if you're somebody who doesn't roll well or who does, you know, who rolls average, statistically, if you minimize the rolls, you're going to do better simply by making sure that those rolls don't happen. I, I, I would say there's nobody out there that doesn't roll well. Dice roll the same for everyone. I don't know. Seven failing seven leadership eight tests in a row. That's an unstatistical game. That Correct. doesn't necessarily mean that you that doesn't mean that you that you're an average poor dice rolling player. Well, I, I agree with that. It I just mean, means I, and that's but, where it, but but that's really where when I say I've lost a game because I have bad dice that's that's what I'm saying. When I statistically, but, in one statistic, but we've also go looked to... At it. We also looked at that game. Uh-huh. We just talked about that game, right? Yep. And we talked about all sorts of things that if Meal would have been in your shoes uh-huh. or you would have played it in a different way, uh-huh. that you could have mitigated most of needing those most of the times that you needed those checks. Correct. It doesn't change the result it of the dice the that result. I rolled. No, it doesn't. And I did have bad dice, but, but you that's could've... not an excuse to lose it because I should have been able to lo- win with my bad dice at least, by mitigating those at rolls. At the very least, put yourself in a much better mm-hmm. position... And that's the lesson we want to take because yeah. that's and that's what we're that's what kind of we're trying to mm-hmm. to learn and and share here is that you can you can take a game that went really 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 badly mm-hmm. and then and then because you did the army swap mm-hmm. you were able to see it see the game from his point of view mm-hmm. it was a different table and the terrain was different but the the, the, the play style mm-hmm. that he applied would have worked exceptionally well in, mm. for you in that in that same in that same setup the day before. Exactly, uh, and and being able to see that goes, oh hey, that puts it in a new perspective. Mm-hmm. I could have mitigated all, a bunch of the badness. I mm-hmm. could maybe maybe not all of it. Yeah, you know you're gonna you know when those leadership checks came up, you may still have had to take it, but you could have mitigated some of those mm-hmm. by potentially either knocking out. His artillery. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in, in all honesty, if you wouldn't have started crossing the table to turn three or four, mm-hmm. or if you could have knocked out a good portion of his artillery, yep. where you force him in order to make him feel like he, in order for him to win the game, he's got to come out of that hole. Yeah. Those are both really good things for you. And, and, and mm-hmm. ogres do have that luxury of being able to go across the board. It's mm-hmm. not like you were playing dwarves or tomb kings where mm-hmm. you have to commit really early because. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. So well, those yeah. are those are things to learn and share, mm-hmm. and and that it isn't always necessarily. Yeah, we had bad dice in the game, mm-hmm. but we learned that we can mitigate bad dice mm-hmm. if we would have played the game a little bit differently. And that's a big mm-hmm. that's a big lesson because I hear a lot of players that are that are getting into the game or are frustrated with how you know some games went maybe at a tournament and they go, oh, it was bad dice. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, I give you. Occasionally that happens, but a lot of times the You're game is won or chances. lost because of mm-hmm. either either the thing that you did to mitigate the or, or maximize the opportunities you had, mm-hmm. uh, or to ma- minimize or maximize the matchups you had, mm-hmm. or also then to to uh, the, you lose the opportunity to uh, maybe you did something horrifically wrong, like my North Star. Uh-huh. I that was entirely list build. I performed poorly and had a bad run at North Star because I had a bad list build. Yep. I didn't play test it. I didn't get it on the table. My first games were that was Friday night at North Star. At that point, it's too late to make changes to the list. Yep. And at that point, I realized, oh, crud, I have a bad list. 
Well, and I think the other thing that I took away from the game is that I usually view Emil as someone who's almost, you know, he usually castles up or some kind of a situation. He really has one specific setup that he always does with his army given a specific scenario. So if he has the opportunity to be able to deploy it as he wants, he's basically got one normal setup that he does and he bases everything else off of that. And he does kind of castle where he usually will sit back and he'll wait for stuff to come to him. Um, he doesn't like sit in the corner and will never move out or anything like that. I think but, that's against against you and against me. Like when I'm playing my orcs and I, you were playing your ogres, that's and he's playing empire. That is also kind of lends itself to that play style. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, but the thing is that really, I wanted to play Operation Grill. Meal playing his army as a castle didn't remove the option for me of playing Operation Grill, but. If I would have been patient and waited to start Operation Grill and say turn three or four, the result would have been the same, if not better. Now I might not have been able to crack his huge unit of halberdiers, which was you know where most of the points of his army is, but I need to be able to understand that I don't need to be able to crack that unit of halberdiers in order to win the game, because what I really have to do is, like I was saying before, mitigate the rolls across the board and then play Operation Grill from turn four or five when I've made sure that the road is as clear as possible as I can make it. And honestly, there it could have been a situation where if I had mitigated enough points by turn three or four and I didn't feel that I was going to be able to win, then I could have stayed on the other side of the board. And yes, that does make for a boring game, but it allows me to control the pace of the game, exactly. which is really what you're supposed to be going for in a game of Warhammer. Instead, you went from the driver's seat to playing right into what Meal wanted you to do, mm-hmm. and Meal got the win. Exactly, and, and that's a and that's a really cool. It's a really big lesson to get mm-hmm. out of this. So, uh, thanks for sharing that, and th- mm-hmm. thanks for pointing that out. It was really, I think, a, a useful lesson for everyone. Um, you know, we're not necessarily the the greatest Warhammer mm-hmm. players, but we definitely <laughs> learn from our mistakes. Yeah, and that's yeah. a big one to learn because mm-hmm. that's. I think that's something that takes players that are from that. Like I said, I I hear a lot of guys. They're always like, "Oh, it was bad dice. It was bad dice." Mm-hmm. Yeah, how often is it truly bad dice? I mean, yeah, you put yourself in a position that you had to make dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you didn't make the dice roll. Okay, well, well, well but that's the problem. You is know, there was were there other mm-hmm. opportunities to mitigate that or to put yourself in a mm-hmm. position where you didn't have to make that right. Nice well, yeah, yeah, sure. In the situation you made, it, you have to sleep in the bed you made. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, yeah, you had to, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't fail leadership checks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you, when, because you did, the game was uh, a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. But if you could have mitigated leadership checks mm-hmm. in, in this game example, if you could have mitigated that, because that is the biggest weakness for your army in mm-hmm. particular, uh, and been able to soften up the shooting targets on the way before you had to cross the board, mm-hmm. boom, instant wind. Or maybe not instant wind, but boom, <laughs> I'm in the game. I've got a chance. You know, it's going to come down to combats, which are the things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's also part of the lesson I learned is that if I have a point where I am, I need to make this roll to win the game... And it's not going to determine whether or not I'm going to get over half victory points or not. Then I put myself in a bad situation. If I need to make sure that this one unit makes it through this unit, 
in order to continue. There are situations where that's going to be necessary. Usually that's, Obviously. Usually that's but, in a game you're losing. Correct. But that's in a game that you're losing. So if you've put yourself in a position where you have to make this leadership check in order to win, I mean, yeah, you already lost the combat. So you probably haven't set up the combat as well as you could have. But you've also put yourself in a situation where you can lose the game simply before because of your choice. Not because of bad rolling, because if it was bad rolling, then you know it wouldn't really matter because you've rolled poorly, whatever. But if you if if you put yourself in a situation where you're going to lose combat, or you're even close to losing combat, and by losing that combat means you're going to lose your general, lose your BSB, or lose the strike into your opponent's line that really would make the game good, make the game go for you. Well, then you put yourself in a situation where you fail to use all of your army. You're depending on one or two or three units to win the game for you. And that's not what the game is about. The game is about using your army to beat your opponent's army. Exactly. That's, that's what I learned by playing the Empire. Because Mule was playing the Empire on, in our game, and I played the Empire with him. And that was something that uh, I had I had some pretty poor roles in that game as well. But really what it came down to is Meal stayed on the back and shot out the Hellblaster. He took out the big threats first. And then it came to the situation where he was coming across the board. And I charged in my uh, Demigriffs into his unit of Ogres. Now, statistically, I should have won that combat. I rolled poorly enough so that, statistic, so that I rolled well under statistically. And I failed to kill enough wounds to be able to win combat. And then I lost combat and he ran me down. All right. So if I look at that situation, I should have won that combat. Okay. But I'm taking a chance on saying that I'm going to roll statistically sure. to win that combat. Well, not only that, but at that point in the game, having I was kind of watching mm-hmm. that game. At that point in the game, it was really clear you were losing. Mm-hmm. You were no longer in the driver's seat. You were losing because of the things that Mila had done, and he was able to take off some of your critical things first. Correct. Um, so you, at that point, you're losing. So not only did you charge the demographs in with mm-hmm. the, uh, I'm going to assume that I'm going to get statistically average on this and, and be able to win a combat. Correct. But you're almost at a point where I have to have this happen I in order for me correct. to turn the game around. And that's and, and in order to win a game when mm-hmm. you're losing, yeah. that's when you have to try, to try to do something like that. Well, but the thing is, had I waited for him to come across the table, then his role statistically would have meant that some of his units wouldn't have gotten across. And I I had my unit of Demigris there. I could have flanked. I could have changed the way that my army was losing by making him come to me and making him roll more rolls. Because at the end of the day, (coughs) it really came down to whoever made the most rolls was the one who ended up losing. And that was me in both games. Because I had to roll leadership, I had to roll... Like, I put myself in a situation where I had to win combats. And Meal doesn't do that. Meal puts himself in a situation where he can lose combats. And the game isn't over. And I've heard him talk about this before when he says, Everything in your army is expendable. If my general is an arch lector and he's got the stubborn crown, but if him standing six inches in front of the unit means that his big unit that could potentially break mine and kill me, number one, kill my general, prevents that unit from getting into me by turn six and being able to break that unit, 
well, it doesn't matter that he's 200 points and he's the key to making sure this unit holds. If him running out of the unit is going to prevent the other unit from reaching me, then that's what he needs to do. Everything in his army is expendable, and he plays that way a lot. And that's really, I mean, because he realizes that I'm going to put this guy out there because if I put my general out there and put him six units in front, yes, statistically, I should be able to rely on my halberdiers to be able to roll on three dice, leadership nine or leadership ten. But if I want to guarantee that that unit doesn't go away, if I put my archlector more than six inches away, it doesn't matter that he's going to break. It means that I negate that roll from happening. I remove the possibility of that unit running away. And I might lose 300 points, but I won't lose 800 or 900 points. Sure. And and that's really interesting to be able to see him playing with my army to make those decisions with it. Well, hopefully, and, hopefully that will turn help you turn things around and make you even a better player. Exactly. And we'll see how that goes. Um, I think what's the next big tournament you're planning on hitting is what? Uh, uh, well, Blood, Blood in the, the Sun, Sun is actually. The next big one. Yeah. There's not a whole so, lot between now and then. Unfortunately. So that'll be where the where we'll see some. We'll hopefully be able to see that reflected in your gameplay in, mm-hmm. at an event that large. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, you're might not have making, a couple one dayers and stuff. But yeah, there'll be one dayers, but what, you know. Uh, when you get 10, 12, 15 player fields, mm-hmm. you get a little bit of that. Good not to take anything or, yeah. winning, uh, take anything away from winning or losing at those events, mm-hmm. but you get a little bit more, especially on one dayers or three games. You get a little more of the pairing favor, favor not favor you, and or you get a little bit more of the if they're especially like some some of the events. Mm-hmm. If nobody has any of the tools to deal with your stuff. Yeah, that's even at the event because it's a smaller event. Mm-hmm. Then you can you can walk your way into a win. Correct. Um, I think it's easy, especially at a ten or a twelve, or to have kind of a to. Those are the events where you can get away with taking, like, say, an internet build, mm-hmm. and just on the strength of your internet build, nobody can deal with it, and you win. Yeah. Not take. And like I said, I don't want to take anything away from anybody that's winning those ten or twelve player events, mm-hmm. or any any tur- anybody else that's had tournament wins at those kind of events, because those are. But it's you still can, a tournament win. You can bring still... a, bring a gun to a knife fight in those situations. Exactly. That's that's the point I'm trying to get across. So and so, all right. Enough of my rambling about how I learned from playing meal on both sides of the game. That's, it was um, good, it's good lesson. So let's go ahead then and let's transition into some of the other events that went on at Mayhem. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, I, I wasn't, I didn't horrifically get terribly involved in the, in the running of any of the other events. Mm-hmm. I let, I brought in guys that were or great organizers in their respective fields to organize and run events, additional events to go coincide with the fantasy tournament mm-hmm. for 2012. I had on Saturday, we had a, a huge, who's the boss privateer press event. And I know mm-hmm. This is a Warhammer cast. We're, we're now talking about something on the wrong <laughs> basis. Shame on us. But this event, and I've talked about kind of the gist of it before. It's just mm-hmm. that you have this giant wheel. In, in War Machine, you have a uh, you play to a set points cost, like 35 or 50 points. And I think this is a 35-point event. I believe so. Uh, where you brought 35 points in models, and then you would spin on a wheel, this giant wheel, to determine your caster. And then they mm-hmm. could... Buy respins. It was every caster in the game. Every caster in the game. So literally, you could be playing Trollbloods and end up with, you know, a Signar caster. Exactly. Literally just 
broke all the rules, and whatever you roll, that's what you roll. Which was part of the fun, and it makes it a perfect event. It's their second year having them on board with Merry Mayhem, mm-hmm. and it makes it a perfect event. And they were recording Crippled Systems, the Crippled Systems podcast Correct. from that as well. So if you want additional Merry Mayhem coverage or you're interested in how more details on how that went, mm-hmm. um, Crippled Systems is a very new podcast. I think they're on their second or third episode now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Mary Mayhem stuff, and I'm not, sh- I'm pretty sure they've released the Mary, their Mary, May- their, I can't talk, their <laughs> Mary Mayhem coverage. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was it was really cool to have those guys on board again. Mm-hmm. They had I think 24 players turn out for yeah. their portion of the event, mm-hmm. um, and and it's always just awesome to have them included. They're spinning on that wheel. They're doing all sorts of the wheel alone mm-hmm. generated over five hundred and fifty dollars in cash, which is awesome for Toys for Tots, which was crazy. I mean, that's it's just amazing how well that just draws the 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 financials out of people the mm-hmm. funds out of people to for a great charity uh so that was that was a great and mm-hmm. awesome awesome thing to have involved and if you're doing the war machine thing i know for 2013 we're looking at expanding not just doing the who's the who's the boss but expanding the the war machine coverage for mary mayhem mm-hmm. to so that it tr- sprawls over both days mm-hmm. and not only sprawls over both days but has some more evening type events too so mm-hmm. stay tuned as we advertise and bring up so that people that maybe come in for the saturday fantasy stuff mm-hmm. You know, there'll be opportunities for you, say, if you're a Privateer Plus player also, that you may be able to sneak in and get into some fun events or get some pickup games, hopefully, after the fantasy tournament, maybe after you have a dinner or whatever. So, And, of course, um, I tried to pitch to Ben that we should try this Who's the Boss event with fantasy, but Ben was totally not for it. Yeah, I'm just uh, completely not for it. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't like that idea at all. But I, there's a, we, there there is the... For 2013, we mm-hmm. are putting together a group of individuals mm-hmm. called the the Fellowship of the Most Merry, uh, which are <laughs> going to be respective organizers in all of their major game fields who will get together hopefully on a uh, once every couple months kind of basis. We'll mm-hmm. sit down um, and chat and try to touch base on uh, what our requirements are for the mm-hmm. events we want to run, what the space and what the costs are, and work mm-hmm. out how we're going to be able to pay for and do and bring Mary Mayhem to the next level in Conzie's vision for the event, which is mm-hmm. to make it more and more a a Warhammer or a, not a Warhammer, but a game uh, miniatures convention for Madison. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think the other thing about it is that you go to events around the Midwest like we did this year, and you go to North Star, you go to Adepticon, you go to Blood in the Sun, and you see that it's not one person running these events. They have groups of this. And when I'm I'm following uh, UK, when you look at who's running these events, it's always several different people. And so the fact that like Ben has been running this large of an event for this long by himself, I mean that just doesn't happen in fantasy that I've seen, or even in 40k, or even some of these privateer press. I mean it's it's really one guy is in charge, but they've got a whole community behind them. But, and I certainly have a team of guys for the day of mm-hmm. that for Mary for the fantasy portion of Mary Mayhem and a team and and, and I've been using respective organizers for each of the micro for the other events mm-hmm. that happen at Mayhem. But overall, I am the primary guy that does everything. all of the work and drives <laughs> everything for the last four years of Mary Mayhem. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to open that up. That's the other thing with doing the fellowship is to open it up to a group of individuals that should all have 
Uh, you know, obviously, I think uh, the final say still comes down to still got to come down to somebody. I'm a firm believer that you got to have a final call. Yeah. And obviously, this has been my baby, so the final call is mine. Yeah. But it's going to be a team effort, and this should be a showcase of what Madison Wargaming can mm-hmm. do and be about as we continue to move forward and grow it year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And I would love nothing more than at some point. That if I, you know, that my vision would just kind of take off and and be where I don't have to drive and be that single visionary for driving uh, and and gathering everything and Mm -hmm. gathering all these resources together to make one giant event where it's more of, oh, yeah, let's do, everybody's just excited. All these organizers are just excited and let's do what's going on for Merry Mayhem 2014, you know? Yep. And, and driving that more on their own versus me having to kind of chase people down and, and get everybody together. So that's that's kind of the direction I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, off, of, off of Mayhem, though, this year it was uh, for 2012, it was an amazing and successful event. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was agree. very, very pleased with, with, the, with the entire event. So moving on, transitioning that way, moving into the next kind of little thing we talk about for Mary Mayhem was obviously Mary Mayhem first and foremost started out originally as just a little Warhammer tournament I wanted to do and then it took like a year or two off and then I and then and then I did the first charity Mary Mayhem so Mm -hmm. when I say Mary Mayhem has been around for four years it's been four years as a charity event four years annual as a charity event Mm -hmm. and the charity is always toys for tots yep we play with our toys so that children can play with theirs as well. Mm-hmm. This year was our best year for Toys for Tots ever. Definitely. We did almost, over the entire weekend, there was almost $2,100 total in toys and cash donated for Toys for Tots. Which is awesome. Uh, the Marines that showed up to pick up the stuff were completely floored. Mm-hmm. They they had the they, the guy was a new guy this year. Uh-huh. He'd never come out to, to uh, pick up the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just flabbergasted at how much stuff and cash he was like oh my goodness you know because most most places they they would drive out to they have like a collection bin at the door and it's like half full or whatever and they yeah. just throw that in the truck no no we had boxes and boxes of stuff yep you know there was there was well into the four or five hundred dollars we evaluate the toys at roughly each toy is roughly ten dollars in value when in reality those toys are probably quite a bit more in value mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of our cut point yeah um, and that way we get a little bit of an average when somebody's bringing in little cars and stuff like that it kind of averages that out mm-hmm. and between you know just the toys there was four or five hundred dollars there's I think we had 50 some toys there mm-hmm. Uh a lot of them were really big and really cool. Yeah, and then we turned around this year. We turned around and had nearly. We gave him a. You know, he he hauls all that out to the truck. Yeah, and then and then we turn around and give him an envelope, mm-hmm. and we're like, make sure you get a bunch of good toys with this. Uh-huh. And he's she's like, well, how much is it? How much is there? Uh-huh. Almost sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah. That's a lot of wow. Money. He's like, you know, you know, that's just kind of in, in, and you, you know, this is Toys for Tots is run by the U.S. Marines. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know, yeah, and the the U.S. Marines, it's it, it's entirely everything they get because they're getting paid by the by the military. This is kind of a, a military way to bring back the for the Marines to bring back some goodwill to the community. Mm-hmm. And so that you know, they're already getting paid. They're already government employees. They're doing this as part of. You know, this is a, a, you know, the program for the Marines are running there. It's, you know, there is no, all this money they're collecting, all the Mm -hmm. toys they're collecting. Obviously, nobody's keeping toys, but any money they collect 
goes right to buying toys yep. and paying for paying for the venue spaces that they use to give away the toys at mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's it's one of those chair. It's there's there are very few charities where when you're paying into the charity, it's mm-hmm. not going a hundred percent into paying for the expenses to to run that charity that there mm-hmm. isn't somebody that's maybe as an employee of the charity no. that's you yep. know that like you give it to United <laughs> Way there's still employees of United Way that are getting paid and they're mm-hmm. getting paychecks um even though they're united you know even though they're doing work for the United Way they're you know or or whatever the charity might be mm-hmm. and I don't want to take away from any of those charities but Toys for Tots is one of those charities that it it, it is almost entirely every dollar dime toy they get mm-hmm. Uh, goes straight to helping kids that are in need that wouldn't otherwise be able to get a, a toy or a Christmas gift, and mm-hmm. that's um, when it comes to helping children. I'm a I'm a real sucker for it, and that's why it's one of my favorite charities. So it was a blessing and a huge thank you, and then a big win for for Toys for Tots here mm-hmm. in Madison, and. Uh, I, I'm sure that we helped out a ton of great, uh, great kids and well, made their yeah. made their holiday season just that much brighter and mm-hmm. just that much better this year. And if you think about it, there was less than 70 players for both days. We had uh, total. We total. We broke. Um, we were closing. We were close to. We had 36 for fantasy. Mm-hmm. We had 24 for War Machine, which uh-huh. gets us at 60. Um, and we were just over with organizers. We were just over 70 players for the two days. And everybody other yeah. than the three primary organizers mm-hmm. could put into the charity raffle if they wanted to buy raffle tickets. Yeah. So other than myself, Andy from the Crippled Systems podcast, mm-hmm. and Pickle from the uh, War Machine, the 40K group, could mm-hmm. all put into the charity raffles. And Yep. So if you think such. about it, I mean, for 70 people... Okay, is that $10 for charity per person? No, that's only $700. That's $30 per person that walked in the door. And that's that's really what amazes me. It's there's only 70 people that are playing these games, you know, like and each of them independently decided to give on average $30 so these yeah. kids could have toys. Yeah, it's big. I that's mean, an amazing experience. It floors me, especially when we're war gamers. We mm-hmm. You know, but between our families and our personal lives and then our wargaming hobby, we suck up so much of our available cash that where is this cash left over to do this? Mm-hmm. Well, and we have so many of these in the Midwest. We're blessed with so many charity events where we have charity raffles and Correct. and whatever in the Warhammer fantasy side anyways. That to be able to turn around and just do this, this weekend of wargaming and to be able to do those kind of numbers... Thank you, everyone that donated. Mm-hmm. It, it's a blessing and an honor to be able to do this and, and to be able to do this for Toys for Tots. Uh, I, I can't, I, I can't say enough. It's, it's really is. I, I was tickled. I mean, I was mm-hmm. shooting for two thousand pe- or two thousand dollars this year, so I did hit my goals. Um, the previous year, last year, we did sixteen hundred, correct? Um, in toys and cash and. But then we had some the, the the player counts were down. I was really expecting a big turnout for the forty k side on Sunday, uh-huh. and they ended up only turning out four players plus an organizer, mm-hmm. whereas I was expecting like fifteen people. So yeah, it was it was really really big. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when we come back, we'll just go ahead and talk a little bit more. We'll wrap up mayhem, the winners, and those kind of things. What what what's that place? The last the last circle. The, the last triangle? No, wait. The last square. That's what it is. The last square located on O'Dana Road. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, they have 
a huge selection of miniatures. Everything from 5mm scale all the way up to 25, 28, everything you could imagine. Yeah, it's the basically the war game store of Madison, Wisconsin, with every wargaming need you can just about imagine or think you wanted, and a lot of things you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. They also have model railroads and rockets. All sorts of good stuff for the geek in ya. Alright. And if you can't get to the square, you can always check them out on their website, thelastsquare.com. Exactly. Okay, we are back, yep. and we have actually been joined by the Mrs. Konze for a special Wisco Dice announcement. Hello, Wisco Dice. Hi. Make sure you uh, talk into the mic a little bit more closely, please. Hello, Wisco Dice. Wow, that was Hi. amazingly better. Yeah. Just wanted to let all you guys know that I will be taking the Polar Plunge on February 8th. Yes, I'm going to be freezing for a reason, jumping in a frozen lake. Why? <laughs> I have no idea. All the proceeds go to Special Olympics, and if you could donate to me, you can donate to my team or just to me. We're the Mad Wrecking Dolls on the Wisconsin Polar Plunge page 2013, and we'll put up a link on the Wisco Dice, what's Wisco Dice webpage. We'd appreciate you to throw a little money towards Special Olympics. WiscoDice.com. I think we're going to go ahead and put that white link up on. It'll be part of the show notes, and we'll find it also on our links page. Absolutely. So for those of us that don't necessarily know what the Polar Plunge is or anything like that, I think it's, I heard you say that it's a you're jumping in a, a frozen lake or something. Are, are you insane? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. I have to be insane to be married to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, low blow. Oh, that's awesome. Low I'm going to remember that for a while. And, yeah, basically they cut a big hole in a lake and an ice, and we jump in and jump out and then go right to the hot tub and to the after party, which is probably going to be the best part. <laughs> okay, so, so we're in Wisconsin where it gets cold. Yes. As in cold enough to freeze water. So the lakes are frozen. All the lakes they, are frozen. They cut a hole in the lake. They, they yeah, dive in the lake. Be. They do a little swim. They dive out. They get in a hot tub. Uh-huh. But it, it, it is a certain level of insanity to dive into 32 or less mm-hmm. degree water. Oh, yeah. There'll probably be at least a, f- a foot of ice on the lake that they have to cut through before mm-hmm. we can even get to the water. Yeah, so. I, I've done it before. It's, a, it's cold. It's I an mean, adventure. You hit the water and... <laughs> Every thought except for get me out of this goes away. So so Mrs. Conzie's <laughs> doing this. You've done it before, huh? Yeah, I have. You should do it again. <laughs> you, we'll could come, you could jump, come jump with us girls. We wouldn't I'm mind. not insane <laughs> enough to do that. But you guys, should, you should do it again. I don't know. Bisco Dice fans, maybe you can uh, encourage Conzie to jump nah, into the lake as well. I think well. you should inco- encourage Paul <laughs> to do this. I think that'd be great. I think both Wisco Dice boys should come join us to jump in the lake. But... <laughs> I just am not that insane. I'm a, I'm a, I'll be chicken here. Right. Sorry. So No, I won't say it. But, uh, yeah, Mrs. Cones is definitely <laughs> no. doing this thing. She's already got, she's already raised, she's got a, a little $75 fundraising goal is what you're looking for, at least initially. At least initially. Um, that can obviously always be raised. You got 15 bucks towards that already. We're rolling. Um, we want to go ahead and, and give a big shout out. I mean, it, it, all, we're, all we really want or ask for is if each one of our listeners would throw a dollar mm-hmm. towards this. Um, you know, it goes to Special Olympics, uh, which is a great uh, event that makes uh, a lot of people uh, that are 
have some forms of disabilities mm-hmm. really truly feel good about themselves and yeah. be able to participate and join and and be a part of a larger community and and they get to play games uh, which while they're not Warhammer or they're not some kind of war game or playing with you know toys <laughs> they're Olympians yeah. yeah they're they're, they're doing Olympians. they're they're being athletes they're being in athletes in their field and that is so amazing to be able to help those people out. And we're, you know, mm-hmm. this whole show that we're talking about, Mary Mayhem and the show, and all of the joy uh, of being able to do that for Toys for Tots. Here's another, I mean, it's it's crazy all the different charity opportunities that people have and we've been able to come across and, and things that we're doing. But this is another opportunity for not only you guys as our listeners, but uh, as us as uh, individuals to help out a great charity that goes so much and so strongly for for really helping out people that that wouldn't otherwise have opportunities to excel and and do these things. Plus, I can get pick probably get pictures for those of you that don't know what how cold it is or <laughs> what it is to see a person jumping into a frozen lake, which is absolutely insane. But it is. Yeah. I'm gonna do it anyway. Me and my girls. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so, there you go. Yeah, you make, sure, make sure you catch all those links on the Wisco Dice page for Mrs. Conesy's Polar Plunge 2000 and th- 2013. 2013, yes. Um, which will be February 8th, and we'll go ahead and if the world doesn't end. And, yeah, well, that's yeah, great. If the Assuming world doesn't, doesn't end. Yeah. Assuming the world doesn't end. Assuming the world doesn't end, we will. Uh, we made it past 12, 12, 12. Now I got to make it past 12, 12 21, 21, 12. 12. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you a lot to Mrs. Conzie for coming on and telling us about that. And make sure you hit up and, and donate, please. Just dollar each of you would go a long, long ways exactly. to helping that out. And obviously, you're going to hear about this now in the next three or four or five shows until it happens. But And your donations are tax deductible. Correct. For those of us that are in the U.S. that can do yes. this. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Mrs. Thank Conzie. you, gentlemen. Have a nice day. Woo! We will. Okay. Let's go ahead and go back on to more Merry Mayhem coverage then. All right. Uh, that was, uh, I wanted to, Mrs. Sconzi had been kind of on me for a little while now to go ahead and, and give a shout out to what she's doing with Polar Plunge. And, and it is a great charity for mm-hmm. donations. But uh, let's go ahead and get back on to our main topic, Merry Mayhem 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already talked a lot about the the Warhammer Fantasy Tournament. We mm-hmm. talked about the your last round games. You've heard about the other games. It's from some other of the folks that were at Mayhem earlier in the show. We've talked about the Privateer Press event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a 40K tournament. There wasn't a huge turnout this year. I was really anticipating a lot more, but there was. Um, four guys did show out, and they did generate a good chunk of cash for Toys for Tots. And we on Saturday, uh, or on Sunday, then we had a few of us to get together. There were some micro Warhammer Fantasy events, which we got to play uh, the Monster Mash. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get, we played that a few times through uh, after your game with Meal. Correct. So the idea of the Monster Mash is everybody gets to play a monster. They put them on the table. Roughly Under 12 500 inches of, points. Yeah, it has, the monster has to be 500 points or less. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, there's no restrictions. There's no riders, no mounts. no. So if you bought like a Stegadon, you don't get to use the skink crew that are on the top of it. Nope. You don't give you bought a... Arachnorock, you didn't get to use the goblins that were on top of it. They were just not there. Correct. Same thing if, you know, 
we had a, I think we ended up using there was a hippogriff we ended up using correct the Elizabeth dragon I don't remember amethyst what, dragon I think yeah, it's called yeah yeah from Forge World that Miel brought mm-hmm. we had a cockatrice that correct. you brought that I actually ended up using was easier than me having to run out the car and get another monster <laughs> and, and then, then use the war sphinx uh, the, the, the sphinx yeah. So there was a, a, a kind of a, a neat little mix of monsters, and in the first go, it was really Elsbeth or the Amethyst Meals Dragon mm-hmm. chasing around my cockatrice because that was like the in the initial setup that was his biggest threat mm-hmm. um, because I could hero a killing blow him with a range attack. Correct, and he and I ended up fleeing from a charge, didn't outrun him, and, and got wiped off the board. But just kind of to explain that, basically the way it worked is that um, you all placed. You'd roll a dice and add it to your initiative, and then whoever got the highest got to place first, got to move first, got to shoot first. Um, and so that's basically the way it worked. And then, of course, if you're in combat, both sides get to fight. Yep, and we and we worked it out so that each monster would resolve each of their phases before moving on to the next monster. Correct, because otherwise then you'd run up to somebody, be in shooting range, and then, oh, wait, you get to move before I can shoot you, so I'll never get to shoot anybody. Which would yep. have been horrible. For I think that's the way we did it the first time because that was the way the original rules were written. Then we went, ah, uh, that, that doesn't, doesn't really work. <laughs> so it was kind of a neat way to play test the rules a little bit too because mm-hmm. we did have a little bit smaller turnout. To, to be able to change the rules on the fly would have kind of stunk Yeah, if there would have been a larger turnout. But for the smaller mm-hmm. turnout, we were able to like, okay, let's change the rules a little bit, talked it out, let's change the rules for the next time we played. And we played this. Mm-hmm. We played three times, and three out of the four of us were actually winners. Exactly. Uh, so basically the way that monsters broke down is the cockatrice obviously has heroic killing blow for a ranged attack, but she has to roll a six to get it. Um, the hippogriff didn't really have anything special, but it flew. So that was decent. It was a decent fighter. Uh, the amethyst dragon was also a decent fighter, but it had a breath weapon and the breath weapon did 2d6 automatic wounds and each wound was d3 wounds each. And I had the... Uh, War Sphinx, or the, the Necrosphinx, as I said. And that has Killing Blow on its normal attacks and Heroic Killing Blow on its, on one, its special one special attack. attack. So basically, the way it worked is, until people got into combat, the Cockatrice was the one to get away from because the Cockatrice has Heroic Killing Blow on its shooting attack. And then, once the Cockatrice was killed, then usually the Amethyst Dragon would come after the Sphinx because <sighs> the Sphinx has Heroic Killing Blow and that breath weapon well, could just like it, kill it. It's pretty easy out. to auto kill it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was kind of down to the Griffin and the Dragon, and un- unfortunately, the Griffin never won any of the games. Uh, the Hippogriff won one. Uh, no, you won one. I won one. I won one, and Meal won one. And we only played three games. I could have sworn he rear charged and won. He rear charged and he killed a couple things. He never won. Oh, that's right. That was the game I won. Correct. <laughs> he did rear charge because the Cody kept the betraying everybody. He'd be like, "Oh, hey, let's let's uh let's go and take out Meal. I'll I'll use my shooting attack." Uh, that game came down to me and him. Yeah, I thought I didn't. It didn't come down to me versus you. He no. If I remember right, that was the second game. Because mm-hmm. um, the first game, Meal won. He yeah. he ended up. He Did breath he, weapon the Sphinx. He it died, he, and then he fought the fought the uh, hippogriff heads on and, and killed, and killed it. it. Yep. Second game, he kind of ignored the hippogriff and avoided. Mm-hmm. We deployed a little bit further apart, so he mm-hmm. ignored the hip, ignored the hippogriff because he wasn't worried about it necessarily in combat. Yeah, and and then he just dodged kept around it around. And, and took on the necrosphinx, killed it. Yep, with the breath thing. weapon again. <laughs> and then the hippogriff charged it in the rear mm-hmm. and killed it. Yep. They, actually, he didn't kill it. They did pretty equal wounds to each other. Uh-huh. 
And but the rear rear plus charge was enough combat res. The dragon broke and got run down. And then the cockatrice came and came. And then the and then the cockatrice. (laughs) There was a bunch of jukiness, and finally it was okay. You're going to charge me if I don't successfully kill you with this range killing blow. You know, you never know how combat's going to go. Yeah. So I got and and it was boom. I hit boom. There's the killing blow. Woof. Gone hippogriff. Yep. And that was unfortunately the hippogriff's best chance at a win. Well, it was kind of fun, actually. I mean, the Hippogriff was the only model that didn't have something kind of fun and funky about it. So there was just, I mean, obviously in the movement phase, the Cockatrice had the huge advantage. In combat, the Amethyst Dragon had a great advantage for one round of combat. And then the Sphinx had the length, the staying power in combat for... Uh, Granted, it didn't get dragoned off. It didn't get dragoned off, exactly. Which so, is what happened in the third game. Yeah. In the third game, uh, I think you actually ended up killing Meal with Heroic Killing Blow. Yes, I did get meal with a hero killing blow. Um, so I got the dragon. The dragon's gone. Correct. Never got to do anything. Yes. Finally. <laughs> the hippogriff the decides hip- to do a dance off and just avoid everything. Yes. And yeah. your sphinx got you in a corner. I I ended up I mean in order to be able to shoot, I had to I was either okay, I can kind of stand here and give you an opportunity to charge uh-huh. and maybe get lucky and you fail or we can see how combat goes mm-hmm. or I, and I would get a shot or I don't take the shot and you can dance around and avoid error and then we can just end up I end up getting charged by the hippogriff. Correct. I like my odds against the the uh, Sphinx better. Mm-hmm. We got into combat and if I remember right, there was a little bit of a grind because didn't the hippogriff end up charging in at some point when we were both Correct. engaged? There was one co- run around the combat, and I was unbreakable. I lost a wound, I think. And then the hippogriff charged in. He ended up killing you, and I ended up killing him. Yeah, <laughs> so and that was and that was the you the one you won. So. Yeah, so it was fun. I mean, I like these. Just kind of fun, silly little fast-paced games. Yeah, it was really quick. It was really fun. It was definitely something different. We mm-hmm. got to play with models that we don't necessarily always get to play with. Obviously, Meal getting to play with his Forge World Dragon. Mm-hmm. That's not something he gets to bring out very often, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to be able to do that and have fun and play that different little game. That was different. It was still Warhammer. It was still mm-hmm. Warhammer, but it was a, definitely a different kind of sit-up and system. It's definitely going to come back for 2013. I think we're going to open it up to a... We have to talk about it. Uh-huh. So here's more of my ideas and or thought process getting aired before any real decisions are, are being made. Mm-hmm. But I think it's I think it's a good fit for a Friday night kind of icebreaker type game mm-hmm. for people that come in out of town. So we'll see if that's where it falls But with, with uh, 2013, but... Uh, yeah, it's one of those kind of things. It was a lot of fun. It was a really good time. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so that pretty much, I think that wraps up all of the events we had at Merry Mayhem. And mm-hmm. we obviously, we talked about the the crazy amount of cash we generated for for Toys for Tots. Correct. But one thing we didn't talk about was who who were the big winners and losers on Saturday in the Warhammer Fantasy Tournament? Well, I wasn't a big winner, but I felt like a big winner. Because for the first time ever, I got max points on paint. So that, yeah, that was pretty. Yeah, awesome. we gotta recheck that sp- the checklist because there should <laughs> never be a way that Paul gets max points at an event I run. Uh, going from our, my hobby goal from the last episode, I had said I wanted to repaint the skin on the ogres, and I actually did go back and put some tattoos on them. Uh, and so I was, I was very happy. I ended up getting full paint score. So that's just a little something that I thought was now really, the really paint, fun. The, the paint scoring system that I used wasn't, it, wasn't it, straight it, up. It wasn't best painter. It wasn't hard to get all the points. No. There was definitely things that you had to do. Yeah, you had to have extensive basing. You had to have a display board. You had to have 
extensive terrain on your board as well. It could have been scratch built or not. And so those were all things that I could easily achieve. My ogres have extensive basing on them to begin with. Uh, I made an ogre hut. I have a basic uh, display board as well that matches the army. So And there's extensive conversion work on the entire army as a whole. So, yeah, the points were achievable. It mm-hmm. wasn't definitely, it definitely wasn't anything that the points weren't achievable. Now, no, it's not it, like it was okay, also, it was also set up in a way that if you're just kind of the guy that paints your stuff to an average, to a tabletop quality, yes. maybe there's not any shading or highlighting. Maybe you just kind of dry brushed some stuff or whatever, and that was it. That you could pick up a decent collection of the points. Like it was set up that if you were average, mm-hmm. You should get somewhere between the twelve to fourteen points yep. on the on the checklist, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of people. There was a lot of people that kind of fell in that range in the average range, and there's there's nothing wrong with being in the average paint score range. Nope. And then it was set, and then if you if you were able to achieve some of those extra things that you were able to pick up a few extra points here or there mm-hmm. we did i think i think conversion work was in there as far as the rating and evaluation uh, it was kind of a a stronger one there was some appear you know obviously the appearance thing was a big one mm-hmm. pain and the quality of the paint but it you didn't have to be an expert painter mm-hmm. to get all to get max paint points no, get didn't. the the max appearance points yes you did have to paint well mm-hmm. But you didn't have to be an expert painter to get them all. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely didn't want to put like I know there's been events in the past where if you aren't if you aren't like the the top end of the painting that mm-hmm. you're going in a half game or a full game down against other people. Well, Wapaka and that wasn't can, the intention yeah. here. And Wapaka can be like that uh, to a decent extent, and well, so paint had to be worth a lot for this to be a Wapaka primer. It did. But you didn't have to use the same paint checklist that they have. But when you have 70-something players, I mean, you have to have a very specific paint list, especially when we have such good painters like we do in the Midwest. You have to specify. And the other thing with the paint checklist for Mayhem is that it needs to be done. We have the only time we have to judge painting uh, where people's armies are out. And I'm a firm believer that you should never ju- you should you should only judge somebody's appearance when it's set up for a display. Mm-hmm. And then and the reason being is that if they're especially if they're playing the game with their models, yeah. you're not getting to see the models as as they were intended. No. The models might not be all on the unit. It certainly doesn't look as impressive and mm-hmm. that can, you know, since painting is partially perspective, it can affect the overall appearance of the army. Mm-hmm. Oh hey, that unit of 40 spear elves was there's only 10 of them on the tray. Well, that doesn't look as impressive. So guess what? It's easier for me in my mind to score it down less. Mm-hmm. And and so I, we tried very hard to make sure that we get all of the appearance judging done through the lunch hour, mm-hmm. which gave us about, as people were finishing up their games, about an hour and a half to score 36 people. Mm-hmm. And luckily I had Alex Gonzalez come in and he did all of the appearance judging. And I, I of built really... Of Adepticon fame. Yeah, of Adepticon fame and of Screw City GT fame. Correct. Probably more important. <laughs> I think if you asked Alice of the two events, he's probably more proud of doing the Screw City GT. Obviously there's a... A certain about a certain amount of coolness about doing the Adepticon tournament, mm-hmm. but I think the Screw City GT event is where he gets more of his own personal feel and control and whatever mm-hmm. over the event. Yeah, he uh, he did all the appearance judging for me. He ended up having he was going to play in the event actually, but ended up having a an issue, a personal issue in the morning. Couldn't make it 
mm-hmm. for the first round and decided, even though I was going to let him play the second and third round, mm-hmm. he chose not to. He's like, oh, I just, I'm just here. I'll just hang out and see my buds and whatever. It's not mm-hmm. like a long drive for me or anything. Yep. It didn't snow like a bloody snowstorm or anything. <laughs> and so he, he did appearance judging, and, mm-hmm. and, and I felt real confident with that was probably the best appearance judge I've had for ever. Mm-hmm. I was confident with... Uh, he came with some good feedback about my checklist, like, hey, how do you really want this or that? We didn't have a chance to talk about it early. Then we went ahead and uh, scored it out. So there were a few 20s, mm-hmm. and then I ended up going back over for best appearance, over those best appearance guys. I went back over and kind of made my choice as to who was going to be the best overall appearance winner. Yes. And I kind of made that decision after I had calculated some of the other winners too mm-hmm. to uh of their respective fields mm-hmm. gone ahead and gave the best appearance to mr johnny hastings mm-hmm. yeah there was no surprise kind of there he's got johnny's beastmen are top notch amazingly well done and you know, the amount of hours and effort and conversion <laughs> that he does <laughs> yeah. it's it, it's it, it's it's nearly a no-brainer mm-hmm. but i have to say uh a big one for me was mike gerald's Warriors of Chaos. I got mm-hmm. to play that at Blood in the Sun, which was kind of the first one of the first, I don't know if that was the first big event that he kind of brought the Warriors out for, mm-hmm. but it was it the was, first. I, yeah. He might have had him at Adepticon. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know either. But I. I was the first time I had seen. I had seen the army, and it, it was like it was. It was definitely cool looking, but it was. It wasn't. Well, <laughs> it, the highlights and stuff weren't as. Like just wow, mm-hmm. and it, seeing it at Mayhem, it really I, I like wow, Mike. This is this is so much better than what I remember seeing it as mm-hmm. at uh, Blood in the Sun. He's like, yeah, I went back and touched up the mm-hmm. the flesh tones, and I've touched up the army quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, you can really see it. It really makes a difference. I'm really impressed. I think the really impressive thing about his army is he's got a great level of paint on it, and I believe we have some pictures of it in the Wisco Dice Gallery or on my Twitter feed. I know for sure there are uh, pictures on my Twitter feed. But really what it is is that he's got a lot of the a lot of conversions in it. All of his marauders are either metal third company models, which, I mean, just look through there to see some absolutely amazing miniatures. He's got a really nice difference in size between all the different guys in his Marauder units. And then his Marauders that are GW have warrior legs, and then I believe they have either, I'm not sure if they're Marauder torsos or Marauder horseman torsos. I believe they're standard Marauder horse, uh, Marauder torsos. And he's done a huge amount of conversion work to the own, the bare GW models in there as well. So he's he's put a whole lot of converting effort into that. And the, the new unit that he brought to Mayhem was the Skull Crushers. And those were also a really, really nice unit. He had taken the Thunderwolf Cav, and then he had taken the Skull Crushers box, and he cut the Skull Crushers shoulder pads off, and then he cut up the Thunderwolves and put the shoulder pads on where the shoulders would have been on the Thunderwolves from the Skull Crushers, and then put the legs back on. And he did a lot of reposing as well, and he made it for a really, really nice and dynamic unit. Yeah, it it just looked great. Everything looked good in that army. But Mm -hmm. this kind of transitions into who won the tournament champion, which is our best overall Mm -hmm. award, and that was Mike Mike Gerald. Yeah, he played very, very well, obviously. He is is a very good general to begin Mm -hmm. with. This is his second year in a row now winning Mary Mayhem. Yep. Um, I don't think we've ever had a winner from in the state of Wisconsin to win (laughs) Mary Mayhem. 
So, but, but the big surprise for me was that when we were getting towards the end of the tournament, there were a lot of people up there that I was really impressed with. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads into our the, uh, at Mary Mayhem this year. Instead of doing like a, a best general, we mm-hmm. did the best of army, which was based off of ended up being based off of best overall points. Uh, it wasn't best of army; it was best of or best light, of best of dark, or, yeah, and best of neutral. Best of yeah, best of. So we had the champion of darkness, mm-hmm. and that went to. It was actually a two way tie, and I ended up giving that to to make sure that I, I, I felt it was better to give the two way tie to give awards to both people rather than denying one person an uh-huh. award. So I gave Chuck Jardina the champion of darkness. Mm-hmm. The other person that was tied for that was Tom McClure, mm-hmm. and he had the best sportsmanship score. So I actually gave him the good fella mm-hmm. for best sports. It's nice when it works out that way. You can give out two, yeah, two prizes. Can, that way everybody got it. kind of did that last year with mm-hmm. Mayhem, too. It wasn't necessarily... I looked at the top scores, and it, at the time when we had done the initial tally, there was a three-way, three-way tie for for best best overall it ended up being that we missed a point for mike gerald but and he was uh, a point further ahead than the rest but uh in our tally but but it, it ended up working out that you know i'm looking at a three-way tie for the top let's give all of these guys they did a great job let's give all of them a prize mm-hmm. it wasn't probably it wasn't quite exactly how i had it written up but it felt like the right thing to do mm-hmm. And so that's what I did is I gave it felt like the right thing to do to give Tom a prize as well as giving Chuck a prize. They both earned it and they 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 both got a, a great prize there. And then who was the champion of light? The champion of light went to which we had there were very few uh forces of order armies at Mayhem mm-hmm. this year. <laughs> and uh we gave that to John Wiltz. Um, who was playing Lizardmen. Correct. And there was a little bit of flex- flexibility there for a player that had a, a army that was in the Forces of Order. You could uh, actually, everybody that was in the Forces of Order, the best was, was two wins and a loss. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot more flexibility there, whereas the Forces of Darkness guys had to win three games. Yep. Now, the big surprise... This is a big one because mm-hmm. the winner of of our best our keeper of it was the keeper of the balance, mm-hmm. which is the best of the basically the basically of ogres and tomb kings, the mm-hmm. neutral armies. And well, sorry, tomb king players, you're lumped in there with ogres, <laughs> and unless, I, I I don't know how you pull this out unless you're just an amazing player. Uh, but uh, the forces, the keeper of the balance, went to Evan Ronnerud, who is playing Ogre Kingdoms. Yeah, and that's now, that's awesome. That is crazy because Evan doesn't go to very many tournaments. In fact, I, Mayhem might be the only second. one he goes to. Yeah, this is the second tournament he's ever attended. And he comes up and plays Warhammer probably in Madison what six, eight times a year. Mm-hmm. So he's probably if he's lucky, he gets a dozen games of Warhammer a year. Yeah, and every time he comes up to Madison, we just whoop on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> And for him to turn around, he pull out three impressive wins mm-hmm. in three matchups, and I don't think he had a, a necessarily an easier an auto win matchup no. all day. That was that was the that was my biggest surprise for Mary Mayhem. I have to say, my biggest surprise for Mary Mayhem was Danny. Danny, uh, Danny was yeah. on table two or table three last round. Yep, he was on. He was playing. He I thought he played Evan actually in mm-hmm. round in round three. And and I mean. Danny's a decent player, but he's never been top he's table. Usually, he's yeah, getting... usually not near the top table at the end of the event. Yeah, and it was really fun because I know he only got Skaven because he wanted the fun army. And he was playing a fun list. And to be on table three, the final round, that's I was 
pretty impressed. Nope, that was impressive. There was there was especially some... when Meal was playing me back down on like you know table ten or table well, twelve. Meal took a round two loss, so yeah. that's that's where uh, oh, Danny had two round yeah. uh, round one and round two wins. So. so the records ended up being pretty close, and overall, I think Meal ends up being a little bit further up in the tournament overall mm-hmm. than Danny did. But yeah, to be to be in those positions at the end of the game, I mean, there's another one, Ben Cater Henry. He's uh, a good player, but you don't not one of those names you see up there. He had a looks like he had a pretty strong day, one draw and two wins. Dan Rude looks like he got a couple of wins. Another one of those names you don't necessarily see up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madison Local, I think the best Madison player was Dustin Vogel, mm-hmm. who got a best appearance last year, was right up there with two wins and a loss. And he is actually playing Mike Gerald on the top table at the yep. last round. And he ended up winning player's choice, right? Yep, we ended up giving him player's choice. So Mike Ballard, he's always a strong strong demons player Mm -hmm. he took his only loss actually to dustin correct so there were there were a lot of like you know guys chris Yu from garage hammer was Mm -hmm. right up there in the top top 12 very pretty army and and, and a nice little game zone with all goblins all goblin well he had trolls so it wasn't all it was a a goblin list (laughs) yeah trolls trolls in my mind still work i know there were no i know uh but he had he had a uh, couple really nice heroes and specifically a really nice game zone uh, Wolf Rider model yep. for one of his heroes. It was just really, really pretty. So there, I mean, there was a, a really nice. I mean, yeah, you see some of the regular names uh, that were winners at the event, but it was really nice to see also some some names that you don't necessarily hear about or say or see that were right up there. Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck doesn't get to a lot of game. Uh, you, you've heard Chuck's name mentioned on a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. He means the old Wogcast. You don't hear his name necessarily on a lot of events, mm-hmm. though. Certainly not as a, uh, a top top three top four contender, and he was number th- he was third overall in the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan Ronerud, you know, another guy fourth overall in the event. Mm-hmm. You know, these are guys that you'd never hear about. You know, so that was really well done, really well done, and well done to everybody. And thanks for turning out and making Wary Mayhem 2012 a, a great Warhammer event for a weekend. So all right, I, I enjoyed it and I had a great time running Me it and too. organizing and I'm looking forward to twenty thirteen and we've already start I've already started and and we're and working through some of the planning process. So who knows uh, what'll happen. It'll be awesome. Keep tuned for all of your information and updates. Wisco Dice is the uh, updates provider for Mary Mayhem. So Exactly. All right, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and we'll take a break here. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Are you tired of playing the same group of guys in your basement every week? Check out the WWHFB, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Check it out at WWHFB.com with regions in Madison, Milwaukee, Stevens, Point, and La Crosse. Anywhere in Wisconsin, you're going to find somebody to play. WWHFB.com, Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Okay, we is back. We's back. Hello. All right, so we went ahead and we've we've kind of talked all all show about uh, Merry Mayhem and all of the good stuff and joy and fun that was part of it this year. And mm-hmm. for the, those of you out there in listener land, uh, if you have the opportunity, I would highly recommend when you to pay attention for the 2013 updates. Even if you are significantly far away, we're going to do everything in my power. It is our, I think, our intent, both from my intent. As the as the primary guy, the lead guy, but also Paul, I think is coming on board with some of the decision making this year, and as part of that fellowship, mm-hmm. to help grow Mayhem to that next level. 
and uh, it's going to be better. And there's going to be it's going to be a full weekend of just awesome fun. Mm-hmm. And if you so if you're looking for something that time of the year to kind of come out for to enjoy and be, I think it'll be. You know, even if you're far out of town and you need to stay over, like, say, a Saturday or something like that, we're going to have those opportunities for you to be able to make sure that there's plenty of fun come Sunday. All right. Cool. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead then and move into Conzi's Rant. Hey, all right. So let's see. On today's Conzi's Rant, we're going to go ahead and, and just rant a little bit about uh, making sure that you're not uh, Grinch this year for the holiday season, that you make sure that you uh, find a charity, uh, whether it's Toys for Tots like we talked about or the the Polar Plunge or whatever it is, find a charity, get out there and and just help out and and do your part. It doesn't take a lot. If each one of us just threw a dollar at a charity here or there, that goes a long way to helping those people that are in need. Don't think of it. You know, it's, it, I th- you know, I've come as I've gotten older, and I was young, when I was young, it, I didn't seem like it was that important. Of course, I was always kind of hard up. And if and if you are one of those guys, you're hard up. Well, you know, then you, you probably always... know a little bit about the kindness. I mean, I remember having to go down occasionally when I was younger, having to go down to the food pantry and getting food because that was how we were going to eat for the week because we didn't. I didn't know where the rent bill was going to come from, and now. I'm in a, a place in my life that I can give back, and, and if you have the opportunity, even if it's just a buck, please, please try to donate and help out your local charities, whatever they might be. Get out there, maybe do some volunteer work if you have the opportunity, or even if you guys are in the Warhammer world, do your part to organize and run a, a charity event. I mean, there's so many of them here in the Midwest, but every single one of them is just crazy the kind of cash that gets generated from each one of these. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know of like on any of the big ones from Screw City to Blood in the Sun to Wapaka to Mayhem. Mm-hmm. There isn't a one of them, I don't think, uh, for North Star that did under $1,000 charity generation. So uh, it's crazy what us war gamers have to give away if you just give us a reason to uh, to give it to you. Mm-hmm. The Coolie Carnage, you know, all of them. So that's the Conzie's rant. Just try to... Be a good Samaritan and a good-hearted gamer, and and go out and say, with do what you do what you can. And that was Conzi's rant. Okay, so today we talked a lot about Merry Mayhem. I think we did. I think we talked a lot about it and it was, all of the fun. cool funness that happened and, and transpired and, over the weekend. And for me, there was a lot of learning. That was nice. Learning was a big part of it, <laughs> and. Uh, so that's, I guess, the wrap-up. What Do we have any, uh, I think we might have had some hobby and, and gaming goals that we wrapped up from last time. Correct. I was very tripolar last time, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, I'm either going to finish painting the fur on my mammoth, or I'm going to repaint the skin on my ogres, or I'm going to paint up three spider riders. And I actually got two of those three done. I did actually repaint the fur on the the mammoth. Uh, that that was a lot of fun. Actually, it, it turned out well. I don't think I'm done with it, but it's already just three or four colors, so or three or four highlights. So I'm I'm okay with where it is now. I don't think it's going to be. It's better than it was. It's definitely better than it was. I don't think it's going to be where it finishes, but it, it looks a lot better now. On um, the skin, especially, looks fifteen million times better. I'm I'm really really happy about that. Um, I, I just didn't like having a centerpiece model that didn't look as good as I could make it look. 
Well, it was when you first got it, it was there. I mean, it was, it's more of an evolution. Like you got Mm -hmm. to playing it some more recently. You had some success with it. Mm -hmm. And now you want to go back because it's one of those models that you're so passionate and love. You wanted to go back and and give it some additional attention because your skill set has changed and grown over the years. Exactly. So, so that was cool. Uh, and then I also did get the skin done on my ogres. I put blue tattoos on all of them. So that turned out really, really well. Um, and I, I actually got several compliments at Merry Mayhem of how good a choice it was to use the blue to complement the red that I have on all the birds' feathers and all that kind of stuff. So that I, I'm really, really happy with the way that turned out. Uh, I considered getting to the three Spider Riders, but I just didn't end up having enough time to do it. But I did actually also randomly end up painting a Brett Lord. I brought the Mammoth, and I was like, oh, I'll bring a Brett with me as well. So I'll have something else to paint while I'm painting the Mammoth if I get bored. And I painted up a badger-colored <laughs> Bretonian Lord of the Great Axe. And that, that turned out really, really well as well. So I'm I'm really happy. I'm, I'm liking the color scheme on it. And, you know, eventually I'll probably get to my Bretonian army. But I, I'm really, really happy with it. I actually did some freehand on the weapon halves and stuff too. So I, I had a really good time. I enjoyed it. And, of course, we know that now since you you got one Badger Brett Lord uh-huh. done, there's probably the rest of a Badger Brett army that needs to happen here yeah. so that we can prove once and for all that Badgers are better than Buckeyes when you take on whatever Ohio State exactly. army uh, that I know somebody from some other <laughs> industry <laughs> uh, yeah, is doing. So. Yeah, I think I'll just put Buckeyes on the ground as part of the basing as my bread army should, is trampling you know, just, over there. I think he's doing Buckeye-themed Empire, so you should just be oh. dead Buckeye-themed Empire guys laying on the bases. The Buckeye Empire? When has Ohio ever been an empire? Never. Never. I mean, at least mine's reasonable. So there is that. <laughs> we have the Cheese Castle, so I can call Wisconsin Land of the Castles. Sure. So I, I think that works. Anyway. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where we, we, we're where I certainly I was able to finish up all the terrain projects I had and, and, and more on top of it. It was a great a great local push kind of got together, Brian and, and Andy or Brian and and Dustin were able to come over and help through the Thanksgiving holiday, and Very we cool. really pushed through and knocked out a lot of projects. and And where it was able to, I was able to pull off. I had forty tables re- or twenty tables ready to go of terrain, all out of my own personal collection, pretty much. So that was it was a it was really cool to be able to do that. And while we only needed eighteen, it was still like. You know, the last day or two before, I wasn't worrying or having to panic about that. It was kind of nice when we were two, ma- when it was, you know, the last couple of days before Mayhem, I was able to kind of re- relax and calm the nerves down a touch before going into the event, which I think helped ultimately help me run a better event. So. And be a little bit more jolly. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, less, I was less, you know, once you get to the day of event, it's pretty easy to just try to keep that smooth. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's pretty much that. We go ahead and uh, how do folks catch the show here, Paul? Well, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Wisco Dice, and you are at Dugan Bright Dugan Brightax. Yep. Or you can email us hosts at wiscodice.com or P Wagner at wiscodice.com or B Cone at wiscodice.com. You just hit us at hosts at wiscodice.com. That's fine. You can catch all the rest of our content, our email information on on the Wisco Dice website at wiscodice.com. Is that wiscodice.com? I believe it was wiscodice.com. Or you can check us out on Facebook. We have a group, and you can like us. And we've even gotten some more likes since the contest. So you know, yeah. people must actually like us. That's, they must. They must be paying attention cool. and realize we gave away a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. now they really want to like us. And speaking of liking us and in the contest, we still have two people 
that we got stuff out, or we need to get stuff out for, and we'll definitely take care of those for you. Uh, specifically, Wally Desero, I'm trying to get a hold of you, and I can't find you. <laughs> Have you been? Did you just Facebook message him? I can't. Uh, he's actually he's got a private um, profile, I believe, so I can't actually message him. Ah. Hence the issue. So Wally Desero, you've got. If you know Wally, (laughs) if you know Wally or uh, you need to get a hold of him Mm -hmm. or, you know, somebody, if you know Wally and you're listening to this, uh, let him know that he's got a pile. He's, did he, was he the, which one did he win? Random models off of Coenzee's show. Yeah, that's a, that's (laughs) That's the, probably the biggest, the biggest prize of the whole darn lot right there. So, so. There you go. Or you can find us on Google Plus, I hear. Yep. You can catch us on Google Plus. Uh, there's always updates going up there. Um, hasn't been quite as frequent as I would have liked, uh, recently, but you gotta we're, uh, <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and get some extra stuff up there sometime after the first of the year. So, of course, you can find the podcast on iTunes or Stitches Rant Radio or Blackberry Podcast. Yep. So you can catch us on all those media. It's, it's, uh, whatever, whatever you need. And if you, if you're having a hard time finding us on whatever your device is, let us know, and if we're not we're listed where you're trying to look for us at, we'll try to figure out what it takes to get us listed there. So Done and done. All right. So thanks for listening, folks. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I wish I would have been able to play in Mary Mayhem. I would have won. Yeah. I would have, I would have just spanked that Mike Gerald. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Hey, dude, it's it's Gerald. You know, whatever you could see. Yeah, yeah. Whop, whop. <laughs> Paul, you're ugly, too. Whop. Whoop! You guys can't have any of my money for charity. I'm a Scrooge. <laughs> well, bah humbug to that guy. Yeah, he's a jerk. He's Man. really gotten to be a prick. <laughs> I don't like him at all. Yeah, I'm I'm getting to be the same way. All right, all right. Thanks a lot for listening, folks. Peace out. It's a